Welcome to episode one of the Prosperative Podcast. In today's episode, your hosts, Jonathan Leger and Eamon Motin, will discuss plagiarism, mindset, success, and freedom in the current climate. This episode was recorded on July 1st, 2021. So hello, and we're breaking new ground here today, and we're delighted to have you with us in this first episode of the Prosperative Podcast. So I'm here with John. Hello, John. Let me just make sure audio is good. Yeah, I'm here. All is good. Excellent, excellent. Uh, so we're going to have a general talk today. We're going to talk about a number of things, um, but particularly with reference to freedom, because there's some interesting things going on with that at this particular time in the world. We're in July 2021, July 1st. Uh, talking about freedom, where are you at the moment? I am at the beautiful beach of Wilmington, North Carolina, out on the coast. Uh, I'm actually sitting in this cool little airbnb living room it's in this yard it's like a zen garden it's perfect beth really outdid herself in picking this one but it is remarkably inexpensive because wilmington is not expensive as resort towns or beach towns go so we're very happy about our little trip here so that's one of the great things we were talking about before of this kind of work working online like i can be anywhere and this particular week i'm at the beach so <laughs> i can tinker with things on the the evening or whatever when i need to and yeah. just hit the waves during the day it's it's a great way to live it's interesting that you mentioned it's inexpensive because you want to talk about money a little bit later and and how that relates to freedom and other things um, but I'm chained to a desk at the moment. Well, not chained, but you know, I'm sitting at a desk. But in many ways, that's kind of freedom for me because I love to sit at a computer uh, for a long time, and I'm happy to do that. So, you know, if I have the opportunity to go to a beach, I wouldn't because I'm not a beach guy. So my freedom's different from yours. But I want to ask you something, uh, and you've got to cast your mind back. Many years ago, and I think I should preface this by saying, although this is our 15th year working together, my, that has gone quickly, right? Wow, 15 years. 15, man. yeah. We've, we've only met twice for a few hours each time. Mm -hmm. And the second time, um, you, you spend a lot of money on a very grand tour of Europe and the UK. And I think you were away from the office for about five or six weeks in total. So you're doing mm -hmm. lots of traveling around. And I know it was a pretty expensive uh, deal because of the places you were going to. In terms of, and this is a question you don't have to answer if you don't want to, in terms of the money you spent then and this inexpensive Airbnb now, of the two experiences, which one stands out as the better of the two for you? The one you paid a ton of money for or the one that's relatively inexpensive? Oh, it's definitely uh, the relatively inexpensive one. I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved the tour of Europe. It was great, but... There were a lot of personal issues back then that I no longer have. And when you have those kinds of problems in your life, even the best circumstances kind of have a dark cloud over them. So here, my freedom is not just financial or work-based. It's also personal. Like I have, I have a, a kind of life, family life, home life, everything that I love. And so that makes all experiences better. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that people sometimes learn later in life. Uh, and you know the old saying about money can't buy you happiness. What, how does it go next, the, the next bit? I don't know if this is what you're referring to, but uh, there's a great quote uh, that money can't 
buy happiness, but it'll buy you a yacht big enough to pull right up alongside it. That's the one. That's the one. <laughs> yeah. But the other thing, it, it. It, but it can buy you a lot of misery as well. Yeah, it and can. I've known a few millionaires personally. Worked for some of them as well in the past, and you know they were miserable. So the money yeah. in itself, it's cool. You get a nice toy, you get a nice car, all that kind of a thing. Ross uh, but, Perot said that a billionaire, right? Billionaire yeah. software guy, yeah. Ross Perot. He said money doesn't buy happiness, maybe unhappiness. Yeah, because, and that's true. And I know from experience why that can be true. Because once, because I grew up poor, you know, we were on government assistance and we lived in a poor town, just the whole typical rags to riches story. I mean, that, that's my story. You know, you know that well. But yeah, when I went from having nothing to having what a lot of people would consider everything, that everything was such a headache. Like I, you know, I had the big house and the new cars every couple of years and, you know, I had the boat and the RV and always traveling. I just, all this stuff to think, oh, well, he's made it. It's wonderful. But what people don't think is just the management, just in the insanity of taking care of all that stuff. And then you have the fear of losing stuff, which is, we both know, because we both are amateur students of psychology that the fear of loss is much greater in the human mind than the fear than the desire for gain and so once you have stuff you get scared you're going to lose everything and just the whole wash of nightmares there i completely agree with albert einstein you know he said that a simple life is best for all and I, that's how I live now, but that's not how I lived back then. And I can absolutely see the wisdom. And once you attain material freedom, which of course is beautiful. And I hope everybody listening achieves that if they haven't already. But for me personally, learning to balance that with what's really important in life and not put too much stock in the possession of things for my own personal happiness. At least that didn't work for me. That might work for somebody else, but it didn't work for me. Well, there's a couple of quotes that uh, I was thinking about this morning, which I quite like, and they feed into that point. Uh, And one of them is from Henry Ford. You know, he's always quoted as saying, whether you think you can do something or you can't, you're going to be right. Right. But he also said, if money is your hope for independence, I'm reading this, by the way, I've, I've looked it up to make sure I get this right. If money is your hope for independence, you will never have independence. The only real security that a man can have in this world is a reserve of knowledge, experience, and ability. Now, I don't know, well, you're not old enough, and I'm not old enough to remember the original quote from Benjamin Franklin, but he said almost the same thing. These are two brilliant minds, right? He said, if a man empties his purse into his head, in other words, gain knowledge and and ability, no man can take it away from him. An investment in knowledge always pays the best interest. So on that point, and and this is the same for me, by the way, so my answer will be the same as yours because I already know what your answer will be. Have you made more money in your life by sweat and toil and, you know, lifting heavy weights and doing physical things or by using the knowledge inside your head? Yeah, obviously, absolutely, knowledge pays far more than blood, sweat, and tears, definitely more. And it just makes sense that that would happen because as a physical body human being, right, there's only so much I can do in a day. There's only so many tasks I can perform, even if I was Hercules and I was, you know, strongest man in the world, whatever. There's only so many things I can do. It's like the story, I forget the name of the guy 
who was trying to outpace the railroad uh, laying machine. Oh, yes. And and in the end of the story, I think it finally kills him because he he tries to outwork this machine, but he just can't. Yeah. Meanwhile, the machine, the guy who used his mind to invent the machine, now the machines can be duplicated. He can do thousands of times more work than that one person can do. And he benefits, if your interest is financial, he does, he benefits financially by being able to do that. And that's kind of the, the lesson here is no matter how good you are at something physical, there's no way you're going to be able to take care of yourself financially as well as if you use your intelligence, your knowledge, and skill with those kinds of abstract concepts. You're just not going to. It's true. And I know in my own case, my the knowledge that I've had over the years in different fields has always given me a better income than other people in the office without that knowledge. But there's a particular thing about knowledge which seems to be peculiar to the human race, I guess. I don't know why I've suffered from it. You probably have. Some people call it the imposter syndrome. We've had a lot of feedback from people within the prosperity membership. And we know for a fact that many people say they don't know what they have to contribute. They have no special skills, no special knowledge. But that is rarely true because... They just think that their knowledge is normal because it is to them, but it may not be to somebody else. So somebody with a very good time management strategy has a skill that other people would kill for, but they don't, they don't necessarily see that themselves. And so I think one of the issues we see regularly is that lack of confidence and that holds people back. We'll talk more about that a little bit later, but um, in your own initial beginnings with uh, internet marketing and so on, John. Did you have any crises of confidence? Did you have any times when you thought, well, can I do this? Will people buy what I think is good? Why should they listen to me? That kind of thing. Oh, sure. I mean, everybody has that feeling, at least early on. Yeah. And to me personally, if you don't have that feeling, you have serious narcissistic <laughs> tendencies and you should probably seek therapy. Like normal <laughs> people are going to have that feeling that why should anybody listen to me? That's normal, especially when you're new, that's normal, but you'll find, and I found over time, exactly what you're talking about. Like, Oh, wow. I do have a skill yeah. that seems to be in pretty rare company, right? And for me, it wasn't just software. It was uh, an eye for efficiency, like finding software uh, solutions to inefficiencies. Yeah. And that's ultimately what led to our my first product way back in the days, if anyone listening is old enough to remember this or was active back then, of the blog and ping. Whenever you used to be able to get websites ranked in Google by just posting uh, blogs on blogger.com and sending those blogs through a ping service. And it would bring Google's crawler. Next thing you know, you're ranking for all these keywords, but everybody was doing that manually. And again, I have an eye for efficiency, creating software solutions. And I did, and I partnered with a guy, uh, Rick Butts was his name. And he was a motivational speaker. Uh, may he rest in peace now. But I just emailed him. I'm like, hey, uh, I think I have a solution for your manual process that's automated and will work much better. And we started up our first service together. We partnered on it. It did fantastically well. 
And within the first year of quitting my job, I had 5X my income because of a skill. If I had let my imposter syndrome, which and keep in mind, it took me years to discover the thing that was the first thing. And it took years for me to find where my real skill lay that was going to benefit the market generally. If I had given up because of my imposter syndrome, I wouldn't be sitting here in this cool little Airbnb at Wilmington Beach, you know, now. I wouldn't have been able to do all the things that I've done. So definitely don't give up just because you you're wondering what do I have to offer? Because you do have a lot to offer. You may not know what it is yet, but you absolutely have a lot to offer. All of us do. We just have to find that thing. So we all suffer from that imposter syndrome, but everybody seems to think they're the only ones who suffer from it, which is quite interesting, really. And there's something, um, there's a trick I learned a long time ago in terms of motivational um, aspirations and mindset and so on, and we can modify it slightly. So you were saying, why should anybody listen to me? And that was one of the things you said earlier when you think about, you know, why should anybody buy this product from me? And other people will think the same thing. I would say negate the sentence and ask yourself instead, why shouldn't anybody listen to me? Because it changes your mindset and changes the frame in which you view the problem. Why shouldn't they listen to me? They will tell you soon enough why, if you're providing a lousy service or a lousy product, let them tell you, let them vote with their their wallets. Um, But there's no reason they shouldn't. So instead of saying, why should anybody listen to me? Ask the opposite. Why shouldn't people listen to me? And I I guarantee you, it will change the way you view the problem. And sometimes reversing a problem, reversing how you look at it, can open a door through which you can step to find the solution. So we're going to talk more about mindset as we go, of course, because that's one of the big things that we're both interested in. And mindset makes a big difference to how you act in, in everyday life and so on. So we're July 1st today. And in the UK, so it's a Thursday. In the UK, we have something called a bank holiday coming up. It's a national public holiday. Uh, And I know there might be something similar over in the US. I can't quite bring myself to say what it might be. Uh, (laughs) Oh, you know what it is, Eamon. You're just still mad that the colonies got away. (laughs) Yeah, 4th of July, Independence Day. Um, Independence Day, 4th of July. So, Independence Day means different things to different people, but independence um, originally for the US was from the the tyranny, as it were, of the UK government, who were imposing rules on people unfairly. Uh, So the the question of the no taxation without representation and all this kind of a thing. But if you think about that in the modern day um, environment, John, and I know you haven't been in this environment for a long time, neither have I, but we have a lot of people in the membership uh, in our membership at Prosperative, who are still in this situation where they're working for somebody else. They're doing that J-O-B thing, working for the man, as it were. Can anybody be truly independent if somebody else is setting the agenda for their entire waking day? Yeah, ob- obviously they can't. And I, it's been a long time for me and for you, but I, for one, certainly remember what that was like. And I remember the frustration of yeah. knowing better ways to do things and those ways being ignored because of some policy written by someone who has no clue what they're doing. So yeah, it's highly frustrating. It 
jacks up your schedule. It takes away your freedom. You can't do what you want when you want. Yeah, it's there's no freedom in a job. That's for sure. Well, that brings me to a point which I've always considered a weird point, but it's interesting as well, I think, which is that we know the aspirations of people who want to leave their job. We know that lots of people want to leave their job, fire their boss kind of thing. They want a little bit of personal freedom. And yet many of them set impossible goals for themselves that to leave their job, they need to earn a million dollars a year or whatever it may be. Uh, And for some reason, people always have this fantastically high ambition in terms of what they would want to earn. Uh, And even if they're earning the average wage or salary, they still seem to set themselves a target of ridiculous amounts of money in order to leave. When I've spoken to people, and we we haven't spoken to everybody in the um, subscriber list and membership, of course, because there's thousands and thousands over the years, many thousands, uh, tens of thousands of people we've dealt with, haven't spoken to all of them, but the ones we do speak to, when I ask them a simple question, their reaction is usually quite interesting, and and you can tell me what your reaction would be. And this is the question I ask them. If you could do something you enjoy doing, something you love doing, and it made the same amount of money every year as you currently make, would your life not be better as a result automatically? To me, but then this is my experience, right? The answer is an obvious yes. Yeah. If you love what you're doing, the old saying, you love what you do and never work a day in your life. If yeah. you really enjoy what you're doing, the quality of your life, every day spent in happiness, yeah. <laughs> doing something that you love, you, you cannot put a price tag on that. I mean, of course, everyone's got to pay the bills. Everyone wants the creature comforts. Everyone wants to be able to afford a vacation a couple of times a year. But beyond that, Like people are striving for, like you said, this huge astronomical number, and they really have no clue what they're going to do with it. Or they think that the things that they're going to buy are going to make them happy. What they don't realize, or at least it seems to me that people don't realize is the circumstances you create in your life. That's where your happiness comes from, not from, you know, just a huge number in a bank account that gives you a sense of security. You know, that's true but not joy, not in my experience, personally, anyway. Well, scientists, and I don't know how they've done it, if I'll be honest with you, I don't know how they've calculated it, but they have calculated that the amount you need to be happy is only a little bit more than sort of the national average wage in the UK and the US. Um, Enough, I guess, not to have to worry about an unexpected repair bill coming in on the car. You need a new tyre or whatever. Uh, So you don't need... 10, 20 times your normal earnings, you only need a little bit more. And over and above that amount, your happiness quotient doesn't increase in the same way. The toys you buy, sure, they get bigger. You get a bigger car, you get a bigger TV, you change your phone every six months, whatever. But your happiness doesn't keep step with that change. So at a certain point, all the rest is just extra that really won't affect your happiness on a day-to-day basis. And they seem to have done this study several times over the past few decades. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's the same answer every it, time. I've seen it a few times. I've seen the bell curve. And I know from experience that that's true. 
like there comes a point which of course if you're broke because <laughs> yeah. i grew up poor you know of course when you're broke you feel that right so your happiness absolutely increases whenever you make more money and like you say you don't have to worry about the blow on a tire you don't have to worry about some sudden expense because you have some money in the bank that definitely increases your satisfaction with life no question but once you get to a certain point it just stops doing that and that's when people in my experience start buying the toys because they think buying all this stuff is going to increase happiness. But I saw another study that's related to this one. And uh, it showed that if you're going to spend money on something, don't spend it on physical objects, spend it on experiences. And here's why the way your brain is wired, it's wired to pay attention to new things because new things could either be a benefit to you or a threat. Like imagine way back in the, whatever caveman days, whatever pre-civilization, you're walking through a forest and you see something like red hanging from a tree, like in your peripheral vision, you immediately turn to look at it. Why? Because, well, it could be a snake or it could be a vine or it could be a piece of fruit. Like it needed to be something dangerous or something beneficial. So you're wired to pay attention to the new, but once you know what it is, the, every time you walk that same path again, for a little while, you'll pay attention to it, but then you'll stop paying attention because your brain now knows what that thing is. It knows it's neither a threat nor a benefit. It's just a bind. It stops looking where your brain still functions that same way. You buy a brand new Mercedes. It's gorgeous and shiny and wonderful. For the first couple of months, nobody can eat in that car. You keep it polished <laughs> and clean all the time. But within three or four months, you're chucking McDonald's wrappers in the back seat because once your brain adapts to the existence of that thing in your life, it's no longer new. It stops being a shiny object. It stops being something it sees as some kind of benefit. It's absorbed it into your psyche, right? An event like an experience, like a fantastic beach vacation, that will live in your memory for as long as your memory works. And you will always think back on that for, you know, and, and experience joy and pleasure from the memory. And even if things go wrong on an experience, right, you will look back on it later and laugh and retell that story over and over again. Oh, can you remember that horrible disaster when it was raining so hard at the beach? We all got flooded. The experience will last with you. It will live on long beyond the time that any material object you get would live on with the one exception of things that have deep sentimental value. Like if you had a beloved relative that left you an item, that thing, of course, it has more. It's not really the object that matters. It's the experience, the memory of the person. So we're still tying back to memories here. So if you're going to spend money on something, in with the intent of improving your life or bringing joy, make it an experience, not an object. <laughs> Again, in my personal experience, that is absolutely true. I've had the same. I must tell you this um, because a long time ago, I think it is about uh, 30 years ago, something like maybe a little bit longer. Uh, we went on a very cheap vacation and we, we went with my wife's parents, my in-laws. And it was a very cheap vacation to Italy by coach. And it was an amazing price for the time. Uh, includes the hotel, food, all this kind of stuff. 
lots of things went wrong. Okay. So the driver lost his way. We got to the hotel like the next day. We'd all been on the coach for far too long. Um, the first night we stopped in Paris uh, simply to stop somewhere. We tried to get some food. It took four hours to have a pizza delivered. We were starving. Um, so lots of different things. Uh, and then there was a particular dinner event that they did midway through the week. They served unlimited uh, pasta, unlimited wine. The wine was like vinegar. I mean, honestly, you've never, oh, wow. The pasta, they served one small helping and then took it away. Uh, I was a big eater at the time. <laughs> so you can imagine there were several <laughs> things that went wrong. But when I speak to my in-laws sometimes, I say to them, what did you get as a present for Christmas last year? So this is only six months ago. And they'll look at me and say, um, oh, uh, uh, what? What did we get? And they can't remember, generally. Mm-hmm. Then I say, do you remember that trip we went on, on the coach to Italy? And they immediately start laughing and smiling. I talk about when we wait, waited for the pizza, which when it came, by the way, after four hours, it was it was literally about eight or ten inches high. It was that full of dough, and it was almost <laughs> uncooked. It was pure raw dough in the middle. Uh, and they laugh. Like you said, you will laugh about these things later. And that memory will be with them forever. We, we also laugh about the fact that uh, my mother-in-law had bought us all matching outfits. We looked like extras from The Sound of Music walking around St. Mark's Square in Venice. Uh, and in fact, the other people on the coach said they knew how to get back to the coach just by following those people in the cotton lederhose, <laughs> which we looked absolutely ridiculous. But at the time... We weren't laughing about it. It was, oh, man, do we have to wear these? Uh, But now we can laugh about it. And that experience was an extremely cheap experience. And, you know, tell tell me you have pictures of the leaderism. (laughs) Like, I want to see this, Eamon. I've never seen it. I can can imagine it, and it's ridiculous. Let me tell tell you why I haven't, because I did. And I'll tell you why I haven't. It's incredibly sad. uh, And actually, it kind of makes the point you were making about experiences. Um, we moved to Spain many years ago. We were going to live there, but we, we came back because the uh, kids were getting bullied at school. So um, it, it, we thought it would work out, but it didn't. And we left boxes of the photographs I'd taken because we had everything printed in those days. So all the kids' photos and things like that uh, with my sister um, in boxes to, to have moved over at a different time because in the first move, taking furniture and so on, we were limited for space. When we came back a couple of years later, because we left them with her, we asked for the boxes back. uh, And she said that she'd actually, by accident, um, thrown them out. So they've gone, including the negatives. So we don't have them now. And and can you imagine the feeling? I mean, Marie was crying for a long time. I'm a little bit more pragmatic. pragmatic. I can't change it. Uh, I have the memories anyway, thank goodness. Um, But I don't have those. You know, you were talking about heirlooms and and souvenirs from Mm -hmm. loved ones and so on. Pick up a picture of your kid and, you know, um, and they're not kids anymore. I can't recreate that because those things are physically gone. Right. Memories, much like Benjamin Franklin was saying, if you empty your purse into your head, if you empty experiences into your head, nobody can take it away from you. So I can remember a lot of the things that we did and, and I can remember the smile on the kids' faces and things like that. And I can remember those ridiculous, uh, very cheap cotton they look like lederhosen, and we really did look like poor extras from The Sound of Music, um, but I don't have them to show anybody. 
but my in-laws can still remember that as well and they can still laugh about it so that idea of putting into your head those things of value doesn't have to be just knowledge does it which is right. an interesting point because when we started out on this podcast we were talking about pouring knowledge into your head now we're talking about pouring life experience into your head and the value of that increases over time you can be sure that now when I think about those those times in St. Mark's Square and we were walking around being looked at like we were escaped from a local uh, asylum, it's even funnier now than it was a few months later. And if we talk about it, we'll sit and laugh, you know, and it's like, it just, you get a flood of endorphins. It, it comes back with interest. It really does. So Benjamin Franklin's quote actually applies to a great deal more than knowledge and skill, which I hadn't thought about until you mentioned that point um, about, uh, you know, which you did a couple of minutes ago. So, no, I don't have uh, any incriminating evidence and genuinely not because <laughs> I've thrown it away. Uh, right. But I wish I had. That That's yeah. a good, good lesson, though. Uh, I personally subscribe to the uh, Eastern idea of detachment. Yes. Uh, because I believe that the only constant in the universe is change yeah and if you tie your happiness or joy or contentment whatever you want to call it to any material object that inevitably that thing is going to deteriorate because stuff deteriorates it might get lost someone might throw it out on accident like what happened with all your pictures yeah. and inevitably what happens then is you lose your joy right because it was attached to this thing this physical thing uh so rather than do that i try to appreciate all of the things and all of the people everything in my life while it's there yeah. With the understanding that nothing remains forever so that when it's time to let that thing go, I can let it go and still retain, like you do with all those pictures, retain the memories and the good things and the experiences and let that be where my joy comes from. I'm not perfect at it. I am a human being. It is a, an ideal to aspire to but it definitely has made things easier over the years to not be too attached to the material but to the experience and the memory yeah i heard it uh, expressed in this way in terms of what to spend your money on and your time it was the three p's people places property so property is way down the list because things are very temporal as you've said and you know that new car smell that we all love and then three weeks later like you're saying you've got the all the rubbish in the back and there's wrappers and coke tins and things like that i think everybody's been through that and so everybody understands that it's it's one of those things you get something new you polish it you look after it and then the shine comes off it um, and i think that's well, we have a phrase, don't we, that people chase the shiny objects. Shiny object syndrome is actually a thing. And you can see how that works with iPhones and so on, where not so much these days, but there used to be queues from midnight around the store when a new phone was going to be released because people wanted it immediately. And it did the same as the previous phone, but it was a bit newer and a bit shinier. Uh, so that chasing after something that is never going to be permanent is, is a problem, I think. This kind of feeds well, into, sorry, go ahead. I was sorry. just saying that's, that's the culture we live in, right? That yeah. Western concept of uh, finding happiness in things. Yeah. You know, so material to throw away 
you know, culture that, that we live in. So, yeah. oh, we have to have the next thing, the next thing. And I understand, I really do understand because I've been there, right? I've yeah. been there. I know that's what we're taught. That's the culture. It seems to be logical. Well, if this much makes me happy, twice as much as that will make me even happier. It appears to be logical, but it's just not how you work. It's just not how you work. And until you realize that you suffer from that shiny object syndrome, we're always chasing, chasing, chasing when you don't realize that what really makes you happy is with you all the time. And I'm getting, I know I'm getting all philosophical here, but it really does. It really is true. Once you know that, then the other things become an added benefit. Like the illustration I like to use is of a table. A table has four legs, right? If, if in the table of your happiness, if you're trying to use physical objects to replace the legs rather than having your own internal joy be the legs, all objects deteriorate and fall apart, right? So your, mm-hmm. your table is going to constantly be wobbling and having problems and you're, you, it's never really going to be held up. For me personally, I would rather have those beautiful objects as decorations on top of the table that yeah. sit there for as long as they can and not have the joy or happiness of my life be held up by those things because they're not designed for that right legs of a table is very specific design for the table you try to use some other object to hold that up it's wobbly it's not going to do a very good job eventually it's going to fall eventually it's going to break you know don't use stuff to try to make you happy a really solid foundation will support a great deal of weight above it and and support it stably and securely so i think i agree with you there because if you have a good foundation uh, of understanding where happiness really comes from. Additional things on top can add to that. So, you know, in the trip that I made, we, we paid the extra to go to Venice, and it's a beautiful city. Um, so th- there was money involved. It added to the in- enjoyment that we had. It wasn't the only part of it. But if we were unhealthy and miserable and, you know, hated each other and all those other things, our foundation would be pretty poor. And in fact, thinking about foundations, Venice is sinking, isn't it? Their foundations have, you're talking about table legs, it's sinking. And we don't know how long it will be before it's really not going to be um, capable of being sustained. It, It may not be around forever. It's been around a long time, but the foundations were really built on a fairly shaky bed. And that foundation, it's, it's fairly sludgy. It's, it's quite the, the base where they've driven the wood piles in um, isn't really solid. So that it's not like it's embedded in concrete. It's actually relatively soft. And so over the time um, that it's been there, you know, it, it is sinking slowly. The stronger the foundation, the more weight it can support and add to the value of the entire thing. So when you're talking about your, your table analogy, if you have a really good solid foundation, good strong legs with that, extras that you put on it whether it's a banquet or a you know a happy meal can add to the overall experience but you put something onto a table where one of the legs is broken and and ready to crack at any minute and the whole thing collapses that leads me on to a point because we're talking about freedom july 4th and so on happiness in the uk we were supposed to have freedom day because we're in 2021 so covid 19 still around it was supposed to be the 19th of uh, 21st of june it's been delayed currently to 19th of July. All indications are that will be the 
the date for sure this time round. A lot of people are looking forward to that date for freedom, uh, and they're looking forward to a lot of problems disappearing. But there are people who don't have money freedom anymore. They have money worries. There's a lot of unemployment. In fact, I read today that Gap, you know, Gap, the clothing store, that's oh, yeah, a big, sure. big international chain. They're closing every store in the UK. Wow. Not because they're going out of business, but because they're transitioning their business to online only. So there's going to be unemployment for the people who work in the stores, but there's going to be opportunities arising from this. The opportunity will be everything to do with the online side of things. So as the online distribution increases, there's going to be more need for drivers. There's going to be more need for people packing the products. Um, there's going to be need for more uh, wrapping materials. So whichever factories produce that, there's going to be bigger orders. So although there's going to be money worries for those who are affected by it on this side of things, there's a corresponding opportunity on the other side. And I think part of the problem that we often have is that when we're looking at something where a door's closing, we don't necessarily realise that another door may be opening elsewhere. So as far as you're concerned in the US, what, how are things there? Because in the UK at the moment, we're all, we're all kind of on hold for the 19th of July. What's it like in the US? Well, I can tell you that I'm seeing help wanted signs all yeah. over the place. Now, I'm not an economist, so I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't in any, uh, what's the word, authoritative way say why that is. Mm -hmm. But just thinking through it, it seems to me that now that the economy here is doing a little better and people are going back to work, but a lot of people have been used to working from home now, Yes, right? Because a very significant portion of the population move their work home, which we've talked about that. There's no reason to go into an office for most people. It's just, there's no need for that. And I've been advocating for people working from home for decades. But now people don't want these jobs anymore. And so especially for the smaller establishments that can't afford the higher hourly wages, they have help wanted signs. There's a restaurant here that said that due to their lack of ability to get staff, they started closing on Tuesdays, whereas they had been open uh, every day of the week. <sighs> prior, but now they have to close. And there's another place that stopped serving lunch for the same reason. They used to be lunch and dinner. Now they're only dinner because they can't get enough people to do the jobs and they can't afford to pay what people are demanding. So we have a little bit of the opposite problem, at least in my part of the country where we live. And I find that very interesting. But again, it it's like you were saying, one door closes, another opens. Well, for the mom and pop restaurant, this is a bad thing, right? Because they want to be open, but they can't get enough staff and they can't afford to pay what they would need to pay to retain staff. But for the people who used to work there, now they have a better opportunity to work online or go get a better job that pays more at a larger company, whatever the case is. Anytime you see a negative in the economy, there's always a positive somewhere that's offsetting that negative. Yeah. Well, mindset affects this, doesn't it? And, and it affects making money and surviving difficulties because, as Henry Ford said, whether you believe you can or you believe you can't, you're going to be right. So many people kind of give up when they encounter a difficulty. I think mean, there's no way around this. So 
Um, the example of the iPhone we mentioned a moment ago, I don't know how much you look at Amazon regularly, um, but every day there's a new case, a different style, there's a new accessory, whether it's a, an OTG cable so that you can plug in your camera to download your pictures. Um, it seems there's a never-ending array of accessories, which has created an entire industry that didn't exist before, and it was on the back of um, on the back of the iPhone being invented. So with local stores, local restaurants and things closing, there will be opportunities if people have the right mindset to look for them, whether that's to offer, as I've seen one person do or one, one business do in the UK, their online, sorry, their offline business, the actual restaurant effectively has closed um, for the entire pandemic. And what they did, as soon as some degree of lockdown was removed, they actually started selling experiences. Uh, and so instead of going to a restaurant where there's a ton of other people there, what they're doing is they're going in and providing high-end catering for individuals who want something at home. You know, they'll come in, they'll prepare the meal, they'll serve you. And it's a more expensive option. But many people want them because they don't want to go out in crowds. These people are coming socially distanced and masked and so on. And what they're providing is something that isn't a regular thing that you would certainly see in the UK. So they now go out and they cater for you in your own home, high-level cooking, things that the average person couldn't cook themselves, wouldn't know how, wouldn't have the time, wouldn't have the inclination. And so people have the experience at home. And they've actually found that that's better for them because for the kind of money they're making. It's actually at least as good in terms of profit, but they don't have to maintain the building. They don't have all the, the staff worries and so on. Uh, so they've, they've kind of turned on a, a coin and done a, a U-turn, as it were, to find an opportunity. Where has that new door opened? But it's about mindset because they, their question, and questions are so important with mindset, aren't they? Their question was, what can we do? Not there's nothing I can do, where they start to think negatively, because as soon as you tell yourself there's nothing, you're going to believe yourself, as Henry Ford says, you will believe it. Tell yourself there's something you can do, you just have to find it, and your brain is primed for looking. So when you're looking for a solution, as soon as you believe there's a solution, your brain will go into action and start looking for that solution for you. So this mindset question and how it might affect freedom is a really big one, I think. So on that particular point, what would your experiences be? Oh, I absolutely agree that mindset is everything, yeah. uh, especially over the last year, the pandemic and all that. So many things closed, or at least they couldn't have anything done in person. And it was very impressive to me to watch how quickly things moved to no contact, moved online. Things yes. that I had been saying for years, really, there's no need to go into this building, but well, that's just the mm -hmm. way we've always done it. Yeah. And now suddenly you can't do it that way. So it has to switch online. A couple of examples. First of all, the obvious, like going to the doctor. Yeah. Going to the doctor. Now, of course, in some cases, the doctor does need to physically examine you, but in a lot of other cases, you're sitting and just describing symptoms to a doctor while sitting on a table in a waiting room. Well, why can't I just tell you that stuff over Zoom or whatever, and you write a prescription that way? Well, that's what they do now. And of course, they've done that for 
for a while, but it just exploded in popularity and getting things notarized. I don't know what it's like in the UK, but here for legal documents, you often have to go to someone who's a registered notary and they have to see your IDs and they sign off and stamp the paper saying, yes, the person whose signature is on this page is the actual person that they claim to be, right? To make it as legit as possible. We used to have to go in to and around here, they have a lot of postal service places that can do that for you. You have to go in, pay five bucks, get them to notarize, whatever, and then you go home. But then nobody was doing any contact. So how do you deal with that? Well, now you can get anything notarized online and you show your ID through the video camera on your laptop or whatever, and you upload the document scan it and upload it to the person and they digitally stamp it and sign it and you print it and mail it wherever it needs to go or email it wherever it needs to go, whatever. So all these things, somebody had to stop and think, okay, this door is closing. We can't have physical contact anymore. How do we solve this problem? And it created enormous numbers of services that do solve these problems. And as it turns out, they solve them in a much more effective, convenient way for the end user, for the consumer. So it would have been better to have been doing it this way all along, but because people get, you know, path of least resistance, we get stuck in our ways. Uh, we've always done it this way. We'll just keep doing it this way. So that took a negative and turned it into a positive. Yeah, it had a lot of negative impact on a lot of people, but in the long run, in the long term, that overview, looking down from you know an objective third-party view, it's better for the people in general because now they have more convenient, more efficient ways of doing all these things that they used to have to show up to do. So it really is a mindset thing. You watch that door close, that can be scary. And I read a book recently called Transitions, very famous work on the subject if you're into that sort of thing and the guy who wrote it he talks about that he says all transitions are scary because you have an ending of what you're used to and then you go through a period of turmoil because you don't know what to do things are changing but then on the other side of that when you look back you can see how things were actually better. So even though it was scary, you did it anyway. And in the end, you were better off. And I really feel like if you take that mindset, you'll find you'll find opportunity where other people see only loss and fear. Yeah, loss and fear is something that paralyzes people. Um, and often Steve Jobs of, of Apple fame would come up with a plan for something and his engineers and technicians would say, that's never going to work. And his reply was normally on printable, I believe, but along the lines of just do it. And so they were capable of more than they realized, but they needed somebody to give them a kick in order to do it. And despite that, when he came the next time and said, now I want this, he would sometimes get the same reaction from some of the same technicians and engineers. Well, that can't be done. Go away and do it anyway. Their belief held them back. So mindset can absolutely freeze you in place. You know, it, it's just absolutely important to get things right. And for all those who want to make a living online, uh, and I've got an example in a moment, which is an interesting one. I know for a fact, based on the feedback we get so often, 
that it's fear that they won't be able to do it that stops so many people from even beginning to try. Now, one thing's certain, if you don't start and you don't try, you will definitely fail. It's not going to happen. If you take no steps towards the outcome, you ain't getting there, right? It's as simple as that. If you start and try and do your best, you might still fall short. Yes, we know that, of course, but it doesn't stop you trying again. Uh, and I don't know if you know the saying, um, which is from in the UK from Scotland, uh, Robert the Bruce was inspired by a spider. Uh, who, who saw it trying to bridge a gap to create the web and it had to keep going and trying. And the saying became, uh, try, try, try again. You know, if you don't, if at first you don't succeed, try, try, try again. If at first you don't succeed, try again. It isn't necessarily the end of the entire episode. You might be successful second time or third time or fourth time. Uh, and in the same way in the UK, we have driving tests in a slightly different way to you. Some people will pass on the first attempt. Some will take five attempts. They get a piece of paper, well, it's plastic now, that gives them permission to drive. I can tell you, nobody ever asks how many attempts did it take you to get that piece of plastic. If you stopped by the police, they look at it, they see that you, you know, you validated till whenever. They can see that you have the, the right to drive. If you uh, go to your insurers, they don't ask you how many attempts to pass the test. They just want to know when you passed it. Have you been driving for two years or 20? So this, um, if at first you don't succeed idea, is important because you have to be willing to fail a couple of times in order to succeed once. But many people aren't even willing to try. And so that fear, I think, is what holds people back. Um, there was something I wanted to talk about, which I thought was interesting because... Yeah, before, go ahead, you. Before you yeah, do please that, do. I, I think... Wayne Gretzky, he's a hockey hall of famer. Oh, yes, he sums yeah. it up really good. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You don't take, yeah. You just, you do. It's, it's yeah. true. If you don't try, you'll never succeed. Uh, I love the line you get from people sometimes if you ask them, why haven't you? Well, I know it won't work. How do you know? I just know. Have you tried? No. So how do you know? Well, I just yeah. know. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and you know what parents say to kids when kids say, I won't like that food? How do you know if you've never tried it? <laughs> Exactly. Every parent of the world has said that, haven't they? I know I have. One thing about doing something is a lot of people say, well, I can't come up with something original. So why should I even try? Well, let's have a bit of fun. Let's talk about plagiarism. And I want to talk about inspiration and, you know, copycatting and, and similarities and synchronicity and so on. I don't know if you remember a few years ago, there were two films on a very similar theme, Armageddon and Deep Impact. Oh, yes, I remember. Mm -hmm. So this was end of the world apoc apocalyptic uh, scenarios. One was an asteroid coming to destroy the planet. I think it was the size of Texas, they quoted. The other was a, a string of comets coming towards us that were going to uh, create an extinction-level event by um, throwing up plumes of cloud that would block the sun. Uh, and we know that these sort of things have happened in, in, in the past long, long, long time ago. So these films had two very different ways of looking at the same problem. Um, essentially, one was sort of serious and based on how would people react, particularly in government? Would they release the information in case people panicked or would they kind of hide it? The other was uh, a bit more of a, almost a, a, a cowboy saga in space where, you know, the guys in the white hats were the goodies and they, you know, they take no prisoners. They were going to go 
do the job no matter the cost. It was almost, almost, um, you know, the uh, Magnificent Seven in a way. But these two films came out within a couple of weeks of each other. And I think I think there was some court action to see whether anybody had stolen the idea from the other. And the end result was that they wasn't. They hadn't. I don't know if you know why those two films, and, and I'm not sure 100%, but I, I have a feeling that the two films came about because there'd been a bit of a burn in people's consciousness, particularly scriptwriters, about an event a few years before. Do you remember that we witnessed on TV through the various large telescopes the collision of the Shoemaker-Levy comet into Jupiter? Oh, yes, I remember. That and they were studying huge the effect. deal at the time. Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to watch. And, you know, this is what happens when a comet um, hits, hits a planet. And, you know, of course, Jupiter's a bit bigger than us. But it was still interesting to see how much material was ejected from the impact. They were measuring the force of the impact and so on. Uh, that was big news at the time. And so, you know, scriptwriters are always looking for ideas and, and possible scripts and, and future projects. After four years, that's going to be in your head, you know, that possibility, what would happen if it came to earth? I'm, I'm sure lots of people would have discussed it at the time in the newspapers and on news channels, you know, while that particular one, fortunately, is millions of miles away from us, if that same size comet were to hit the earth, the impact would be. And that would be devastating and so on. Uh, and so these two films actually were essentially the same product. And they both made a lot of money. So you don't have to be original 100% to have something to say to people. And in fact, most of what we've discussed so far today, other people have discussed last week, last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Uh, I mean, obviously, 40 years ago, they wouldn't talk about an iPhone, but the principles of mindset and freedom and unemployment and happiness, those things are not new. Your take on it is new. My take on it is new. The way we express ourselves is new. So you don't have to strike new ground to have something of interest to people. And one thing I would recommend everybody to do is look at magazine racks in the supermarkets and you'll see a seasonal trend. You'll find 20 different gardening magazines all talking about uh, getting your garden ready for spring at the same time. You'll find 15 different magazines with beach body diets or how to lose seven pounds in seven days. And you're going to see that again next year. And they'll tweak it and give a slightly different flavor and so on. But it's the same kind of con concept. So this idea of duplicate content that some people are scared of, where they're not sure whether um, they can put out the same kind of information as somebody else or whether they'll be a fraud. It holds people back, doesn't it? And, and really, the footfall to a particular website is going to be different to another website. And let me just talk some specifics here. So on a planet with, let's say, 7 billion people, there might be more now, over 15 years, we've sold to hundreds of thousands of people, haven't we? I don't know the exact number, but it's certainly hundreds of thousands. As a percentage of the planet... That's not a great deal, is it? I mean, that's a tiny, yeah. tiny. Yeah. So we're, we're reaching virtually nobody. Somebody else is going to reach the other 6 billion, 985 million, whatever. There's a big world out there. And, of course, then there are specialist interests. I mean, one of the things I'm, I'm constantly surprised at seeing is how many um, private pilot magazines there are. You know, you, you'd think that's a fairly small number of people. 
but there are multiple magazines that deal with private aviation. And you think, what on earth are they talking about? Well, there's the latest planes and then the safety recalls and that kind of stuff. But how can they find something to talk about month after month? Well, they do because it's their topic. But the topics are, this, are going to be relatively similar. Model train, model railways, the multiple magazines for that. Knitting patterns. Uh, my mother-in-law gets a lot of those. There are multiple magazines for that. And then online, YouTube videos and so on. You don't have to be original, do you, is what I'm saying to you, John. Oh, no, you, you really don't. And all you need for proof of that, like you say, walk into the grocery store or walk into a library. Yeah. You walk into it, go on Amazon, look up any topic yeah. for books and how many books are going to appear on the same topic. And it's because, first of all, in, after a while, there's new, usually new information that comes along that can be applied to a topic. But the most important part, even if the content is just evergreen content, is your voice. I can hear the same thing expressed in a different way, the same facts expressed in a different way from a specific person. And that appeals more to me than hearing those same facts expressed in another way, in another voice that just doesn't resonate with me. And that's true. Like I study uh, philosophy and mindfulness and such, and I have specific people who they're basically saying the same thing. They're all saying the same thing, but I like the way certain people sound. It their perspective resonates with me. And that's going to be true for everybody who's listening to this now. Your perspective, the way you would say a thing, the way you would express it, the way you would solve a problem is going to appeal to a certain number of people. And I met this lady last year who she's a professional writer. She writes uh, stories. They're only released digitally. She's not published or any, you know, big publishing house or anything she yeah. releases them like on kindle and they're sci-fi stories she has a following and every time she releases a new one her following gobbles it up because they love her writing style she's not a super popular writer she's not well known you, she, there's no movies made off of her books but she makes a good living off of writing these stories that she loves to write because she has a voice that appeals to other people you don't have to be huge to make a good living doing something you love as long as you find the right target market. And I know that's something we're going to be talking about on this podcast a lot, finding and identifying your target market. That is so important. Well, another word for target market is tribe. And, you know, when you find your tribe, you'll belong to them and they'll belong to you. And if you think about the number of people who are making a living and enjoying it singing, compared to the number of people that you might see on TV or hear on the charts, a handful of people that you hear regularly uh, who are famous. But there are, I don't know how many, but there are certainly tens and tens of thousands of people, might even be millions, I don't know, but certainly many, many, many thousands who are doing this day in, day out and reaching crowds uh, big enough to sustain a career and give them uh, the joy of doing something they love. You don't have to be the best singer in the world to be a singer. You don't have to be the best painter to be a painter. Now, the other thing is, and you, I, I agree with you about the personality, the voice, the tone, your particular perspective. I agree with that. But there's something else as well, which I think is good to remember, which is new people are coming into any topic every day as they get older. So 
Uh, somebody who's 12 years old is probably not in the target market or tribe to learn how to drive in most countries. When they're 16 or 17 in the UK, they suddenly become part of that tribe and they'll, get, they'll look for somebody. Now, there isn't a single instructor who gets all the work. Of course, there's geographical locations as well that restrict where you would go. But even within uh, the same area, same town, my town, for example, there are multiple driving instructors. And people will choose them on all kinds of bases. So some will say, he's got a newer car, I'll go with that one. Another will say, well, that's a female instructor, I'd prefer to go with her because she's less likely to shout at me. Others would want to have a particular car that may be similar to the one they're going to get when they pass. So they, they have a continuity of driving. All kinds of reasons go into it. But there are new people coming into learning how to make money online, learning how to sing, learning how to paint, learning how to do dentistry. And they're going to need that information over and over. In fact, you talked about Amazon and Kindle for your friend there who's doing these sci-fi stories. Amazon started a long time ago just selling books at a discount and then added lots of different pieces. And then uh, Amazon have opened up their marketplace to third-party sellers. So you and I could sell on Amazon if we wanted to. We could sell Kindle, digital, or we could sell physical items. You could, I don't know, you could paint something and sell your paintings on Amazon if you wanted, or you could uh, make clothes and sell them. The Amazon marketplace has become so successful that people who have used it, and I was reading this news report today, people who have used it are now being invited to further opportunities by a business type that exists purely because the Amazon marketplace allows people to sell. Let me explain what I mean. A new business has sprung into being that is a brokerage for selling businesses that are currently using the Amazon marketplace platform. I don't know if you've seen that. And some of these people who've done well are selling their businesses for multi-million dollars. I so have not seen that, but it doesn't surprise me the value that would be in having like this history of incredible reviews and yes. good service and delivery and all that. Yeah, because I look at that stuff. If I see competing vendors on Amazon, I'm going with the one that has the best ratings and yes. the longest history and all that if the price is the same, right? If the price is significantly different, I might take the risk, but it usually isn't. And I usually go with the most uh, the most respected, if you will, vendor. So I can absolutely see the value in a business like that. Well, the interesting thing to me is that an entirely new business type has, has sprung up around the businesses on Amazon. So this brokerage type of operation now, which is dealing exclusively with Amazon, there's one in the US and one in the UK, they're looking, actively seeking businesses on Amazon to offer for sale to investors. So th this is an opportunity based on somebody else's success on somebody else's platform. I mean, that's two layers of separation. Um, and it, one of the people who sold his business for multiple millions, uh, I think it only took him two or three years to get to the point where he was uh, approached. He was selling garden tools that he found on Alibaba, which you can order from there. Anybody can order from there. And you can get garden tools anywhere, Home Depot or Home Depot, you call it, don't you? Uh, we have uh, various do-it-yourself centers and so on in the UK. You can buy those anywhere. 
but he sold things that people need on Amazon because it's convenient for them to order on Amazon. And he's made a killing. And then he's made a second killing by selling the business. Uh, and he doesn't touch the product. He just orders them. Has somebody else make them? That's an opportunity for that business. So there are multiple levels of revenue going on. Amazon take their slice. Delivery take their slice. Alibaba take their slice. This vendor is taking his profit. The brokerage are taking their profit for making the sale. Uh, I mean, that's multiple opportunities in a single place. And this was somebody with no prior experience, by the way, of selling online. So he, he's just looked for something where he thought he could find a product with a good markup. And the price is sufficiently low for him when he's buying them in bulk to make good money. So That's one of the beautiful things about uh, this whole market that we've been in for so long is that it feels like a long time, right? It feels like, wow, the selling things on the internet, that's been around <laughs> for like 20 something years. Yeah, but that's nothing. That's not, it's so new. There's still so much opportunity for the average Joe or Jane to find a market and make a name and get things done. Yes. It, it feels get like it's been done. around for a long time, but it really hasn't. If you look at it comparison to like, shipping and selling and stores which have been around for thousands of years like this is a tiny nascent market right and it grows and it grows so much every year but if you look at the numbers of uh, retail sales versus online sales it still heavily favors retail even during the pandemic and everything so there's massive opportunity left if people would just get over their own insecurity or work through it that imposter syndrome we talked about find the thing that they're good at and start to make things happen for themselves just keep at it don't give up it took me seven years seven years of trying and failing and yeah. trying and failing while i had a day job yes uh to finally hit on that one big thing the blog and ping that just took off and snowball effect from there and i've been working for myself for 17 years from whatever part of the world i felt like being in at the time and it's a beautiful life and i i just hope that people will listen and think maybe not what is it that i can do but what would my life be like if it was like that and that would give you the motivation to start looking for what you can do to make that life your life i want to give you a couple of examples there john for things that surprised me where people were offering services for money to have their dream life and i thought what really people pay for that and it didn't make a great deal of sense to me, but but it does to the people who are paying. Um, many years ago, before I had uh, problems with my wrist and, and other things, uh, I used to like play golf. I was a lousy player, but I enjoy the game. Uh, and so I got into it a little bit and read the golf magazines and so on. And I found that there are, get this, this isn't, how niche is this? There are people who offer their services to play a round of golf with you for a fee specifically if you're traveling on your own, so particularly businessmen, uh, and they will join you at whichever club, you pay for the uh, golfing fees and so on, and you pay them for their time so that you have some company. And businessmen who are traveling away sometimes for weeks or it might just be a couple of days, if they like to have a game of golf, going around on your own isn't quite the same fun as walking around and, and having a, a conversation with somebody else who is interested in golf. People pay for that. And I thought, well, that, that seems really weird to me. 
But really it isn't. It's it's seeing a need. There are people, I've seen people on a golf course who are walking around on their own. You could ask them if they, you know, would you like a companion? Should we walk around together? Or you can turn it into a business. There's another business, and it, it's kind of close to my heart because I love this side of things. My hobby is photography. And there are people who take uh, photographers around various cities and show them the best places to to take pictures. And they'll give them some hints on angles and that kind of a thing. But essentially, they're tour guides for a specific group. And it's a bit of a walk, and it generally between three and six hours. I wanted just to give you an idea of how much you can make doing this. I've seen people who do this with groups of six, where they charge $150 per person for three hours. That's $900 for a three-hour walk, which is not bad. I've also seen people who charge $1,200 for six hours, and they have two or three of them, and they'll take a group of 12. That's 14500 In my case, it's pounds, but we call it dollars. 14500 for a full day, which between three of them is, is nearly £5,000 a piece. Uh, that, for most people, would be a really seriously good monthly wage in the UK. Here's the interesting point, though. These excursions get booked up months in advance. So the one I told you, the cheap one of the two, who charges uh, 150 for six people, 150 each, he's currently booked now until mid-September. Uh, and I found out that he does on average something like 10 to 12 of these a month. So he works 10 to 12 days a month. That's 9,000, which is about 108,000 a year, which in the UK by any standard is a seriously good income. Now, you think, well, on YouTube, you can get all the instruction you want. You can get a video, you can get a book, you can get a, an Amazon book, um, and they'll tell you everything, including tour guides of where to go. But people are willing to pay to meet somebody, to walk them around and say, now, we'll stop here. If you move to the left, you get a better angle. Uh, this setting would give you a slightly better picture. Try this shot and so on. And... This isn't just one or two people doing this. There are dozens that I know of who are all sold out. And again, you think, well, why would people pay that? But the fact is they do. And there are people who pay for painting classes, sewing classes, martial arts, anything you can think of, anything where people want to learn something, they're willing to pay. And, and there's a line actually from uh, Deep Impact, I think it was, which Robert Duval said, which I've, I've written down here, which I quite like. Uh, and he's talking about a possible solution because the, the mission has gone wrong to save the world from the uh, comet. And he's, he's come up with an idea for a solution, but it's a bit of a suicide mission. And he's explaining what they're going to try and do by uh, boosting the rocket and so on and hitting the comet. And the ground controller asking him to explain it more. Time's running out, and he says, we can do or we can teach. What's your pleasure? We can do or we can teach. And he's really saying, we can talk about this and explain it forever, if you want, but then we'll lose the opportunity to do it. Or we can just do it and see if it works. And I would encourage anybody listening to this, if you have an inkling that you'd like to have freedom, whether that's more time or more money, 
or the ability to go on vacation more. Do, don't teach, do, try, because the only way you'll ever succeed is by trying. And if you fail, try again. It may just be that you need to change your direction ever so slightly. It may be that you need a slightly different focus. It may be that you haven't found your tribe yet. But there's something, at least one thing everybody can do that other people would be willing to pay money for. You know, the people, there are people who will pay for somebody to mow their lawn. There are people who will pay for somebody to uh, clean their windows. There are people who pay to have their car washed. There are people who pay for almost any service you can think of. Removing rubbish, house clearance. People will pay. They'll pe people will pay for tuition. Uh, my niece teaches English as a foreign language to Chinese and Japanese students. She does this on Skype. She sits at home. She goes on Skype. She talks to them. If they, they talk back, and when she uh, notices that they've made a mistake, she tells them what it should be. She's just having a conversation with people and making good money from that. She doesn't have to travel to work. There's no commute. There's no gridlock. You know, seriously, everybody has something that they can do. Uh, finding it, I guess, is the problem. You said it took you seven years for your success. If you'd stopped at year six and a half, where do you think you would be today? Oh, I think about that. I've thought about it many times. Yeah. I would still be in some corporate job. I'm sure I would be doing well, like financially. I, I did well as yeah. a software developer, lead developer over a team. I did well, but the stress and the headache and the politics mm. and just all of the stuff that I hated about working a corporate job, plus having a manager who didn't know anything. because <laughs> The only reason he had the job is he was somebody's cousin or whatever. <laughs> you know, you have all that. And when I lost, when I got rid of all that and started working for myself, life just changed dramatically, not to mention the freedom of time. Like here I am at the beach recording this with you, right? You know, those, all of those things just make it so worth the uh, effort and the time spent to try to find that thing that uh, eventually will lead you to success. But it is there, like you said, everybody has it. Everybody has it. There's no reason you can't achieve it when I can achieve it. I'm not special in that way. You are not special in that way. Yeah, of course, we're intelligent people. We're go-getters. You know, We have those qualities, but everybody has good qualities. Yes. Everybody has something they can do. And when you recognize that and you work with what you got, you will find the thing and it will be better. I know you're not expecting this question, but it's just come to me as you were saying that. So let me throw it at you. And if you need a few seconds to think about it, by all means. In terms of achieving something compared to not achieving something, which we know a lot of people currently don't because they tell us, what would you say is the single most important factor that has enabled you to do that? And similarly for me, what would you say? What would you count as the single most important factor that has helped you to achieve something? Oh, tenacity for sure. Just, just, Keep trying. You have to be willing to keep trying. Uh, I don't believe in the word failure. I don't think there's any such thing as failure. I think there's only learning the wrong way to do it, right? Like uh, Benjamin Franklin said, uh, or purported to have said, that even though it took him a thousand times to make a light bulb that works, they weren't failures. He just found 999 ways not to do it, not yes. to make a light bulb. Yeah. And if you view it that way, 
that I'm going to keep doing this until I get it right and it succeeds, then you won't constantly suffer from the disappointment that makes a lot of people give up. Most small businesses in the United States, they close in the first five years because they give up. And if people would just keep trying they would find the thing. All of that knowledge and experience you're gaining through your so-called failures eventually will stack on each other and build the foundation that you need to get it right. But you have to be willing to keep going. So for me, absolutely the tenacity to keep trying. It was Thomas Edison, by the way, not Benjamin Franklin. Oh, Thomas Edison. Yeah. Sorry, I get the um, For me, I think it's belief. Um rather than lack of belief. There's a quote from The Matrix that I quite like, and it's where Neo is is looking at a kid who's dressed in kind of Buddha robes and and he's making a spoon bend. And then Neo tries to... Anybody who hasn't seen this won't know what I'm talking about, but if you've seen The Matrix, you'll know it. And then he tries to bend the spoon and struggles with it. And the kid says to him, don't try and bend a spoon, that's impossible. Just realise the truth. There's no spoon. (laughs) There is no spoon. This is a simulation. And, you know, that's... The, the basic um, principle, it, a simulation there for anything can happen. It's kind of a dream state, I suppose you could say. To me, what that means is if you've got an impossible problem in front of you, then you're looking in the wrong direction. If you believe it's impossible, you are looking in the wrong direction. Look around you. Believe that there's a solution. You'll find it. Because as soon as you believe that there isn't, you stop looking. Your brain is designed not to waste energy. If you tell it something can't be done, it will not waste energy trying to prove you wrong. If you tell it it can be done, it will spend energy trying to find the solution. So for me, and that comes with tenacity as well, you've got to keep doing that. But the impetus before the tenacity kicks in is to believe that it can be done. And for some reason, and I don't know why, I don't know if you know why, uh, huge numbers of people, and we, we know this from our feedback, just do not have that belief. They really don't. The number of times I've heard people say, well, it's okay for you. You know how to do that. And when I explained that when I started, I didn't know how. I had to learn. I was at the same position as everybody else. I didn't know a particular point. I had to go learn it. So the fact I know it now, yeah, okay. But two years ago, four years ago, five years ago, whenever, I was in the same boat as them. So they can do the same as me. But we hear that so often. And I wish I knew why. But in this series of podcasts that we're going to be producing we're going to be trying to deal with mindset for people and covering other issues not just about money of course but um, everything to do with a good life happiness fulfillment all those kinds of things so what we've talked about today has covered a number of different things we talked about content being duplicated with armageddon and deep impact and how it's not really a big problem as long as you're doing something in your own voice your own personality very important that because that gets you a tribe. There'll be people who do not like you. There'll be people who love you. And they're the ones who will stick with you. And they're the ones you're aiming for. But today, when you first start, you probably don't know who they are, do you? And the same when you started, you didn't know who your tribe would be, but they kind of came to you, they found you, and then they stick around. And some of those have been around for 10, 15 years. So uh, how can we how can we sum this up, John? What would you say? If you had... Uh, Here's a little thing I heard once somebody uh, described to me as a test. For any topic, if you can be succinct about it in 20 words or fewer, then it means you know what you're talking about. How would you sum up what we've discussed so far in 20 words? 
there's something for you to consider. And oh, if you need time, I, just bone. No, I, I think your Henry Ford quote is perfect. Mm. Whether you believe you can, whether you believe you can't, you're correct. Absolutely. That sums it up. Yeah, it, it really does. And, you know, I wish everybody could have the same self-confidence and belief as we have. But it isn't a magical thing. It's theirs. For, it's there for you to take. It's yours by right. You just have to reach your hand out and take it and then hold on to it. You know, when you said that you don't know why people say, oh, well, that's for you. You can do it. It's not for me. I think I know why most of our customers, not all of I them, mean, we're all over the world, but the majority, the bulk are in the United States. And I don't know what it's like in the UK, but in the US, education does not teach people to work for themselves, does not teach people to think for themselves. It teaches people, prepares people to go get a job working for somebody else. So all of our education here, all of the experience, which you're taught is you're working through school, through education, through life to work for somebody else. There's nothing taught to us unless you come from a family that just believes otherwise, pushing people to do things on their own. That's not how people are taught, but just like you can unlearn negative psychological tendencies through practice of positive ones, you can unlearn that education that you got that's telling you, you have to always work for someone else. You can't do this on your own. We both had to do that. Maybe we have a little bit of that more naturally, but it doesn't matter. We still had to unlearn, at least I know I did all of the belief systems that taught me you have to work for somebody else. You can't do this on your own, but I did unlearn it. And because I unlearned it and my experience taught me it was possible, I've been able to accomplish everything that I have. And I know, I absolutely believe everyone who's listening to this can do the same. That was actually more political than I expected on this first podcast, but I agree with every word you said. And I think it's a shame that, independence of spirit and creativity are not emphasized in education because the, just imagine how wonderful it could be with the, the things that people would come up with if they were allowed to develop that way in school i mean we'd be looking at all kinds of uh, inventions and maybe even medical cures and, and, and other things wonderful wonderful things could come from that by tapping into the best of everyone and everyone has some best somewhere whatever it may be they may not know i'll just give you a quick example of that my mother-in-law who's i think she's 73 now um, had that kind of uh, life through education where you go to work you work for somebody else you do your job and so on uh, and you you stay within your lane you don't step outside of it recently she discovered and and it's a strange thing to wait till 73 to discover she discovered that she's a remarkable artist. She's got a very natural God-given talent. When she takes up a paintbrush, you know, she can paint amazingly, but she'd never thought to try it because that wasn't the way her life was mapped out based on family influence and education. She might have had a very long and illustrious art career if she'd been encouraged to try it when she was younger. She might not. But, you know, certainly based on what I'm seeing her do, I think she could well have had a career. But it was denied her by her environment. And there was nothing that propelled her to seek uh, outside stimulus to see whether there was more to her than she knew. 
So I think that question of education is one which you're absolutely right with, and it is perhaps more political than we were going to be in this initial podcast. But I think it's a fair point. It certainly doesn't apply too much to somebody who's already middle-aged. You know, they're going to have to overcome their years of um, programming, as it were. But certainly for younger people, um, they might be able, they might be a little bit more malleable and be able to question what they've been taught. Is it really nine to five? Is that really the best way to spend a life? And there are lots of people discussing that uh, around the world as we speak. And we're seeing uh, the way the pandemic has made working change. So a lot of remote working, a lot of differences in hours, uh, and even in terms of productivity now that people are not spending a lot of time by the water cooler and talking about last night's game on TV and things like that. People are finding that they can achieve a lot more in a lot less time. And that actually, funnily enough, that's giving rise to a guilt complex that people feel like they're frauds because they're doing their work, but it's not taking as long. Isn't that a strange situation? They're achieving the work they're meant to achieve, but without the distractions, it doesn't take as long. And some people are having guilt complexes about it. How odd. How odd. Yeah, odd. But I again, I think that points back to conditioning, what we've yes. been taught to think we have to do. Yeah. Well, we can unlearn that. We can. Well, I think that's one of the things we want to help people do in this series of podcasts it's one of the things we've done ourselves Uh, we've been through the journey so we know each side of the journey we know what it was like before transformation and transition as it were uh, and we know what it's like afterwards and we know that it's you know this this side of the fence is pretty good Um, nothing's ever perfect of course not and you know you could have a car crash tomorrow you could be hurt tomorrow you could be ill uh, you know something unpleasant might happen you might fall down the stairs and hurt your leg or whatever it may be things happen in life anyway but overall the average sort of quotient of happiness is way nicer on this side of the fence than it is on that other side of the fence and we want to pull and invite and drag as many uh, people as we can through that fence so as we said almost at the beginning as one door closes another one opens what we would like to do in these podcasts is invite you to step through that door with us into a brighter and better future where you're more self-actualized, happier, and more resilient to the changes that keep occurring in the world and will keep on occurring. Any final words, John? I, what I always like to say on our webinars, I think, uh, is a good closing words here. The fact that you are listening to this, you're already halfway there. You know you want it. Yeah. You know you want to do it. You, you probably have a nine to five or some kind of a job that you don't like, but you don't want that and you know you can do better. And so we're going to help you do better. That is the purpose of this podcast, to keep you motivated and give you the tools and knowledge like we talked about to use so you can stop doing that grunt J-O-B every day and actually find the life that you've always wanted. You've been listening to the Prosperative Podcast from Prosperative.com with Jonathan Leger and Eamon Moting.